Hello everyone, how are we doing? NTT20 Monday podcast, Ali Maxwell, George Ellick. We've started how we mean to go on because it's a busy show today. Um, we've delayed the recording slightly because we wanted to talk deadline day. It's awkwardly timed, isn't it? Falling on a Monday. Here's what we're going to do, guys. It's a, it's basically a bonus a bonus episode in some ways, 50% longer than usual because we're going to recap the weekend action for an hour or so and then we're going to talk transfers for half an hour. Uh, so we hope you stick around for that. But weekend action to begin with my great friend George Ellick. And George, you were a Quest pundit on Saturday night, a, a, a magnificent, I think your best performance on Quest so far. Um, <laughs> best on Quest? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And you were on with the Reading current captain, not club captain, the current armband haver. Michael Morrison, uh, who I think was making his punditry debut, came across like a great guy. He was a lovely man. Um, I very much enjoyed sitting next to him, chatting EFL and Reading with him. Um, I think it helped probably that he, not only Reading had a fantastic result on Friday night where they beat Bournemouth 3-1, which we'll get on to, but he also played very well. So mm. um, yeah, really good to talk to him. Fair to say he's he's pretty happy uh, with life under Pauno. He's pretty me and him are pretty much aligned on what we think about certain players such as uh, Michael Olis and Ovi Ajaria. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I hope to work with him again because he was, um, he was a good guy to spend a day with. Absolutely nailed his margarita pizza. <laughs> Colin, <laughs> Colin, Colin says his new nickname is Margarita Michael. Uh, I wonder how many calories you burn at centre-back in a, in a Friday night game between Reading and Bournemouth. Well, I, think... I mean, those pizzas that you get at, at Quest are <laughs> Uh, are not very good for you so you don't need to tell me that my friend um uh, let's let's keep pushing the reading button then let's start with them they beat bournemouth uh, the the first game of the weekend on friday night uh, we were watching this one in at sky ahead of our late night segment and they beat bournemouth 3-1 it was pretty categorical that result some horrendous <laughs> uh, some horrendous defending just a genuinely horrendous display from Bournemouth in the first half as well but I mean given that you spent time with the Reading captain what did he say about the game what did you make of the game yeah I mean I think he said and I agreed that they basically just couldn't really live with Reading in the first half um, I think when Swift Azaria and Elise are all playing up front are all playing in that three behind uh, the striker and their link up play and their interchange is so good Bournemouth couldn't really live with them. Uh, and you've got a Lucas Rao who, you know, in Michael's words, is a maverick. And we saw every single side of Lucas Rao there because you saw him kind of falling over the ball, trying to do a trick, then pulling off that exact trip to score, you know, an exquisite goal. And then getting out of the way of a free kick to let in the only goal conceded of the game as well. Um, but, yeah, no, he was very positive. And then he, you know, he said himself that second half, um, you know, him and his performance and his centre-back partner, McIntyre's performance, who he has... Only good things uh, to say about uh, and Raphael's saves were probably the important thing in keeping them clear. But you know, it, it was interesting watching McIntyre's um, interview on Sky after the game, where you know he's a young player, he's playing for his boyhood club, but he was very measured in what he said about you know their expectations for the season. And I mentioned that to, to Michael, who's obviously the other side. You know, he's thirty-two, he's experienced, he's wearing the armband. He just said, "Yeah, you know, there's no pressure. You know, they're." They're looking to get into the top two. If they just fall short, they'll be in the playoffs. That's a, that's a great effort. Not getting carried away. Um, you know, he said the Paunovic is somebody who sets very high standards, but at the same time, it's a very collective effort together. Everyone's very kind of unified around what he's trying to do. So, um, yeah, all really positive energy coming out of, of Reading. Uh, it's, it's good for me because I think any other time 
in the last four years, me spending the day with a Reading centre-back could have been quite awkward. Um, <laughs> but for pretty much the first time in those four years, I think Reading are just a very good side at the moment and a, and a, a right in a rightful position towards the top end of the Championship. Yeah, McIntyre really growing into things in the absence of Liam Moore, who of course was in the studio at Sky on Friday night. So a busy weekend for those uh, senior Reading centre-backs in the broadcasting world, making the most of, of, of Reading's exposure recently. Uh, six straight games, McIntyre started next to Morrison. They've conceded three goals in that time. And he's proving himself to be a bit of a live wire in the opposition box as well. I mean, it was a brilliant performance from Reading and they were completely dominant in the first half. You know, Joao's goal was the only one of the three from open play. The first one, scrappy one from a corner, and the second one, a, a free kick that was parried straight to um, to whoever stuck it in. I can't even remember. Maybe McIntyre, that one. And I think there's an extent to which you have to turn and look at the performance level of, of, of Bournemouth here as being desperately low, really, for, for a team that, like all teams that get relegated from the Premier League, we have we hold pretty high standards for, I think it's fair to say. Um, we scratch our head constantly about how we should judge teams coming down from the Premier League, both before the season, how to try and work out which of them are, are, are ready to launch an assault uh, at the top of the table for 46 games, how many of them might you know, get away with just having a good squad without necessarily seeming to be too impressive. That happens as well. And then there are those that completely fall off, that simply cannot hack it and, and quite often finish in the bottom half. You know, Teams like Huddersfield, Stoke in the past as well. So Bournemouth are a weird one because... At no stage this season, apart from the odd half or the odd game, have we been particularly convinced with them over a stretch of a few games or a few weeks. Um, and they're currently on a run where they've lost three in a row. And it is quite concerning, isn't it, George? I mean, the, the performance level in the first half was terrible. Second half, a little bit better. The introduction of David Brooks, you know, giving them a bit of a shot in the arm. But I think also just just the general fact of being 3-0 down. Like, it's quite easy to play at 3-0 down. And, and Reading would have obviously dropped their intensity as well. I was slightly concerned with what Tyndall said in his post-match interviews, both the, the longer one on Sky Sports where he looked kind of defeated. Uh, and I, I know that that must be, that's probably the overriding emotion after a performance and a result like that. But it didn't fill me with confidence. And then the, the snippet that Quest used on the highlights show, he said, it's a group of young players. And I don't consider them a young side, partly because a lot of the players they have who are 22, 23, 24, have played a lot of football. I wouldn't consider them inexperienced players, even if they might be relatively young. Uh, in fact, I went through the starting 11. Here's the here's the professional career appearances that, that, that their starting 11 had. From Begovic in goal with 370. Uh, the back four, 250, 375, that's Cook. 95, that's Mepham, who also has 10 caps for Wales. 231, the left back. And then in midfield, 196, 233, 148, 321, uh, 144 and 130. Like I don't buy that this is a, a young team or, or an ex inexperienced team, certainly. In fact, the only inexperienced person here is Jason Tyndall and him being the big question mark for us about this Bournemouth side's ability to challenge right at the top of the table. It, that was kind of the main thing pre-season, George, and it, and it hasn't really left, has it? It, it definitely hasn't. Um, the good form at the start of the season didn't seem at the time to really be in thanks to Tyndall, uh, not to take any credit away from necessarily, but we weren't sitting there being like, right, this is a manager who, who clearly knows what he's doing, the, the quality of team and the quality of player. Um, you know, you look at the side that played on Friday night, the, the, the players that came off the bench, Brooks, as you mentioned, Stanislas late on as well, Jack Wilshire. Um, 
you would think that a a visionary, a good tactician, somebody who who was suited to this job would probably be getting much better performances from them. You know, Jason Tindall is an experienced coach who is currently managing for the first time. And, and I think it's probably unfair to expect him just to step up and, and improve on a job that Eddie Howe was doing so well for so many years. Um, whether or not that is enough to to suggest he should be the manager, I'm not so sure. You know, they've, they've lost Graham Jones recently, who, despite not really showing much as a manager at Luton, you know, his arrival at Newcastle certainly corresponded with some much improved performances he's there. Been, he's been credited with a with a Premier League win. Well, they're, they're suddenly the best pressing team in the Premier League, to having previously been, you know, the, the soft touch. So, um, and then Jonathan Woodgate's come in. And again, as a coach, he was part of a decent setup at, at Borough, but as a manager failed. I mean, it, it just feels like a bit of a mess at Bournemouth. And you look at the what's going on in the transfer market you know you look at the addition of, of, of Wilshire of Ben Pearson you know the club are quite clearly happy to invest money in the playing staff you know you look at someone like Bristol City for example where it's not really happening to that extent and therefore you can kind of understand why they've gone for someone like Dean Holden to be manager but if you're if Bournemouth are so happy to spend money on players and transfer fees and wages You'd be a little bit surprised they wouldn't look to recruit somebody to manage that from the same ilk. But um, I'm sure Tyndall will will still get some time. But very, very quickly, Bournemouth have gone, you know, when you and I did our pre our mid-season prediction pods, our pod a couple of weeks ago, I'm pretty sure they were the second favourite to win the league. That is not the case now. And they don't look anywhere near um, a side playing at a good enough level to challenge for those top two spots. But with the players they've got and a couple of good wins, that could change. Well, the Watford game is tonight, so we can't comment on that fixture, sadly, against QPR. But two of the other teams gunning for automatic promotion. Swansea and Brentford picked up good wins on the weekend. Brentford's, uh, well, the biggest win of the season in the championship so far, 7-2 against Wickham. Now, George, you would have been across these games a little closer than I, uh, between three and five on, on Saturday. But this one felt bizarre in in how it escalated like to all intents and purposes when I saw Brentford 2 Wickham 2 at half time and I'd seen that I believe Brentford were ahead twice I could be wrong on that I saw I maybe I maybe figured that that Wickham had like snatched a couple of set piece goals but actually the the noises coming out of this game were that for the first half Wickham were, were very very impressive and Brentford were really struggling to cope with them in the same way that Wickham whose defensive record has been so poor um, we're, we're really struggling with bees, and then obviously, uh, it, it looked to me anyway that that Wickham fell apart somewhat after maybe understandably feeling a little bit hard done by by the ref. That last twenty minutes was was carnage. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't necessarily concentrate too much on the scoreline here because it, it's not necessarily in Wickham's um, the way they want to play to chase games. Although they did it pretty well twice in the first half, but but as you mentioned, Wickham had the better chances in that first half. You look at the goals that Brentford scored, obviously Pinnock was, was a set-piece goal. The, the second Brentford goal, whether it was Fossu's or, or I think Hawkeye have now said that it's Ivan Tony's for, his, for the first goal for his hat-trick, was again a very scrappy goal. Igpezu's first, I'm not entirely sure how Brentford have let him get there, but I guess in a sense probably if, if Uche Igpezu has the ball just outside the area, you're probably going to be pretty happy for him to let fly. Um, but it was a lovely finish. But they created plenty. You know, they, they could have gone ahead in the game. They were good value for their for their parity at half time 
Um, Fosu's next goal, well, his first goal was was deflected, um, which didn't really seem to be discussed very much. I think it was going wide anyway. Um, so they can be a little bit unlucky there with the penalty as well. So suddenly they're 4-2 down, feeling like they've missed chances and shouldn't be behind. And then all the goals that come after that are basically Brentford just picking off a side who were having to, um, who A, were probably pretty knackered and B, were chasing the game. So um, it's important. It's an important win for Brentford. It's, I think, given how tight it is at the top, you can't really overestimate how big it is t- to get five, a five-goal margin here. It could end up being an extra point come the end of the season, which is important. Um, you know, we've spoken a lot about Wickham being a, an unlucky side. This wasn't necessarily the case here. They lost seven-two. I mean, we can't really, we can't really um, say that Gareth Ainsworth can chalk this down as, as more points they should have got. But again, we're seeing a Wickham side who are overperforming expectations and who showed enough in the game against you know maybe the best team in the uh in the league or, or one of the the best two or three teams in the league um you know they really put it up them and at times they were, they were going to get something out of the game so Wickham just need easier fixtures and they need a run of wins um and then maybe they'll have a chance but i, I mean you'd be brave it's, it's Birmingham at home on tuesday if they, if they can get three points there, and I'm sure if they put in a performance like the first half one on Saturday, um, they'll go pretty close. I mean, a couple of extra notables here. Josh De Silva really enjoyed that last half hour um, and showed the full array of, of skills on the ball there. Um, I was looking at his heat maps from this season compared to last, and it's clear that he's really found a home uh, in the on the right side of the midfield three rather than the left side where he played a bit last season. And I think it allows him to to thrive more so than than on the left side. As a left-footed player, we know that he's got that goal threat, those curled shots into the far corner uh, from the edge of the box. And this allows him to, to get into what you'd say is probably the optimal area on the right side of the box for those. But also the way that he's combining with Dalsgaard, the right back, uh, and Bermo or whoever's playing right wing. Um, it's it's really impressive. And, and he's, I mean, he's a player that we've loved so much over the last few years. And his development has been brilliant uh, and continues which is really exciting but the most notable thing for me is well two things David Raya nutmegged uh, at 4-2 one of the Wickham midfielders who was coming down to press him Uh, I I can only assume that's the first time a goalkeeper has nutmegged someone in the EFL this year but it's difficult to check that Uh, and also Tony Tony has been awarded that goal Uh, the goal line decision system uh, came through on Sunday with the confirmation and you probably don't know this George but I am top of the league top of the world in championship fancy football uh, on a site you said every week don't you a site called Gaffer and that goal put me above uh, Joel who I'm really fighting for at the very top Um, that extra goal was was the big difference so there you go thank you to Ivan thank you to the goal decision system (laughs) um um, we're going to talk about a couple of signings later on uh Brentford have signed Winston Reid today so we may touch on him uh, in the transfer segment Dazza has asked am I the only one that forgot he even existed no you're not Dazza no you're not um I I uh I think we should move on to Swansea Rotherham though 3-1 Swansea winners here I mean I think George, tell me if I'm wrong. Rotherham could probably feel a little hard done by here in the sense that, uh, you know, I don't think their performance was particularly off and I don't think on balance of play this was necessarily a 3-1 game. But uh, a lover of fine goals, this was the place to be, wasn't it? Swansea, all three. It was almost like they got better each time for Swans. Yeah, three incredible goals. I think you've kind of summed up Rotherham there anyway. I don't think there have been many occasions this season. I mean, there have been plenty of occasions this season where Rotherham have lost. I don't think 
um, that have come away from many of those thinking they, they they just kind of phoned in a poor performance because the way they're set up and the way they play means that they're always um, a side who are going to cause difficulties. And they came into this one in really good form. Uh, and you're right, Swansea didn't create a great deal. That they, they don't really create a great, uh, create a great deal, and they seem to have a very good ability you know you and I both read um the EFL mid-season review on Statsbomb where one of the 10 or 11 or 12 I can't remember how many there were one of the key themes was Swansea's ability to stop the opposition teams from creating high XG chances so creating good chances and that was kind of the case here Rotherham had plenty of shots plenty of opportunities but didn't really fashion too much uh, too many glaring opportunities and then at the other end Swansea just showed three incredible pieces of quality to pull away I mean Conor Harahan's opener was just a beautiful left footed strike Matt Grimes was like right well I'm going to do that from a bit further out and scored an excellent goal and then the finish from Jay Fulton uh, I didn't really know he had it in his locker just like a a flying flick at the near post. Um, what I love is that he had—he basically had to twist his whole body so that his torso and his face were facing, you know, back to the halfway line in order to yeah. get the the exact connection that he wanted. I think with the outside of his right foot, absolutely unbelievable. Uh, Swansea showing that when they go ahead in games, that that's it basically. I think there's only one occasion out of something like 15 where they've taken the lead uh, this season and they have failed to win and, and that was a drawn game. So, you know, it's not the first time we've said this, but performance level not that high, maybe not what you'd expect from a top two team and yet result very much uh, a top two result and their good form continues and, and that automatic promotion picture is getting pretty lively indeed. Uh, Norwich obviously dropping points at home to, to Middlesbrough with a nil all draw. We're not talking about the draws today, sadly, so no, nothing in depth there. We had a couple of one nilers now. George, you tell me which one you want to talk about first. Uh, Blackburn beat Luton 1-0. Derby beat Bristol City 1-0. Sheffield Wednesday got a much-needed win. They beat Preston 1-0. Which of these was the best of the one nils? You've asked me two different questions there. You've asked me which one I want to talk about and which is the best. Okay, well, uh, you tell me which one you want to talk about, then tell me which one the best is, and I'll take the third. <laughs> uh, yeah, Derby Bristol City was... Um, we kind of joked in the Quest offices that when Colin Kazimichers put them 1-0 up, we were like, right, well, that's that game done. Derby only win 1-0, and that is exactly what happened. Um, somebody needs to check on Bristol City pretty quickly because... I reckon in their current guys, they are one of the worst teams in the league. And um, this was a totally abject display. Now, let's caveat that with the fact that under Wayne Rooney, Derby are defensively so solid. You know, I think you told me the stat last week that said that the only team who've conceded fewer shots on target since Chisco Munoz came in than Watford has been Derby. And this was another case here. Bristol City, you know, Bristol City were behind for our, from the fourth minute of this game, right? They had four shots in the game. Of those four shots, three were headers from Alfie Mawson from set pieces. That's that good is, to know. That is a yeah, well, that's piqued your interest, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, that is a that's a pathetic return, to be honest. Um, that is an, a total inability to wrestle your way into a game of football. And this isn't the first time this has happened with Bristol City. We've seen many occasions so far this season where they have, in terms of creating opportunities, fallen short. You know, you look back against Huddersfield in midweek, they lost the shot count 26 to 4. So they've only had eight shots in their last two games. Now, 
they're in a position in the league where you know they, they rattled off so many points early on in the season that it's hard to see them um, being you know they're in currently in ninth place and they are well clear of anything. They're on thirty nine points, rather than on twenty three. Um, but they need to work out a way to 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 turn this around because long term, you know, it, it's one of those cases where even if they have a really poor end to the season and they end up coming kind of sixteenth or seventeenth, um, the the downward trend of, of what's going on on the pitch could spell for a really difficult time for them next season. Um, and, you know, they picked up points midweek, which they didn't necessarily deserve. Derby aren't an easy team to play against, but if I had to pick a team at the moment, and I don't like saying it because, you know, I think you and I both like Dean Holden and we had a great chat with him on the Turkey Football League for extra time. And I'm sure he is aware of what's going on and this wouldn't be a surprise to him. Although he probably would like to be given a bit more credit for the, for the victory against Huddersfield in midweek, um, given that they actually won the game and I've just slagged them off for it. But worrying, worrying signs. Um, and that's kind of the story here. And of course, you know, the story that Derby fans are talking about is the injury to Christian Bierlich that looks really nasty. Uh, the same right knee that, of course, kept him out for the best part of a year. Um, I had a quick look a couple of hours ago and didn't see any kind of latest news. But I think we, we are, we're all hoping that it's not as serious as it was last time. Yeah, desperately sad that. Um, what an unbelievable month or two he's had as well. Uh, the positives, a teasing cross from Buchanan, the left back, uh, really growing into his role. Another academy player uh, who's been given game time and, and seems to be all the better for it. A really, really nice assist for him. Uh, it's three goals conceded in 11 games uh, under, under, well, since Rooney stopped playing. Uh, three goals conceded in 11. Now, I should point out that the underlying numbers suggest around 13 expected goals against in that time. So there is a large overperformance there. Um, there have been some great goalkeeping performances from Roos. Uh, I'm thinking of Roos against QPR. Some poor finishing as well from the Oppo. I'm thinking of Solanke against Bournemouth early in that game the other week. But there have been games where they've shut out the Oppo completely. This was one of them. Stoke as well, Swansea and Birmingham have, have, have really struggled to break down this Derby side. And it's, it bodes very, very well, even if that record of three goals in 11, I don't think we should be extrapolating that over the next 20 games or so. Um, something to watch out for, though. I think they, you know, you'd want them to keep improving going forward. But uh, they're doing enough, aren't they? Colin Kazim Richards is putting in a hell of a shift up there, which is good to see. They had six points from their first 13 games, Derby. Then Rooney stopped playing and focused on managing. And they've got 22 points from their next 13, which is brilliant. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday beat Preston. This was Liam Palmer's first goal in nine years. Uh, Connor, who is a uh, a very, very solid uh, Sunday scout report contributor and a Sheffield, <laughs> Sheffield Wednesday fan, was, was quick to basically tell us not to get too carried away. Uh, a goal from a set piece and not a ton in that game, but a disappointing performance from Preston, who are still inconsistent, aren't they? Uh, and then Blackburn won Luton nil. What did you make of this one? I mean, Blackburn getting another win, possibly not at their best, but Tony Mowbray made a quad sub in the second half, which really caught my eye. And boy, do they have a lot of options in that squad, as we discussed last week. I mean, they're so blessed with quality. Uh, and we're going to talk about the players they brought in a bit later on as well. Um, yeah, it wasn't their best display. Uh, it was a it was a good goal um, from Armstrong, uh, a kind of a nice move. I texted you because it seemed it's the first time I've seen one of the uncontested drop balls kind of really benefiting the side taking it, where it was basically dropped 
put his foot on the ball and played a lovely clip ball over the top for the knockdown. Um, it kind of felt like a goal that doesn't happen from a free kick because the defence are alert and actually marking their men. So, um, again, something that hadn't really been discussed, but I'd be a bit annoyed if I was... Uh, well, I think if I was Nathan Jones, I'd be annoyed with my back four for not being alert to the possible dangers coming in. Would you be annoyed or would you feel physically sick in my stomach? I would be physically sick. I mean, I... So this... For anybody wondering why Ali's suddenly turned into an old man, um, this this is because after the game, I mean, Harry Cornick had a goal disallowed very, very late on where him and Danny Hilton seemed to get in each other's way trying to stabbing the ball in at the back post before Cornick finally kind of got up and fired it in. And it was given offside. It's so messy, the whole thing, because, you know, there are players kind of lying on the floor all around the goal mouth. Cornick's off the pitch at one point. But um, and so I'm not here to say whether or not it was a correct or incorrect decision. It looked quite harsh. Um, I, it doesn't strike me as there being much benefit of doubt going towards the attacking side there. Um, but uh, yeah, Nathan Jones not happy at all. He he kind of likened it to a playoff defeat, which was um, which is quite something. Given you know, I'm pretty sure that we all expect Luton to end up somewhere between the playoffs and the relegation zone this season. I don't think this equaliser here would have changed that, but. I mean, it just goes to show like, the the rabid competitive nature of Nathan Jones. You know, to steal a point from him away at Blackburn, and he's going to feel he's going to be vomiting on you on the way home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we will touch on some Blackburn transfers. Pickering, Harwood, Bellis added to the squad in the last day or so, and I think that's it from the Championship. We had a ton of draws, didn't we? One all draws between Cardiff and Millwall, Huddersfield and Stoke, Coventry, Birmingham, Forest and Barnsley drew nil-nil, as did Norwich and Middlesbrough. At the top of League One, we bigged up the game of the weekend in the EFL, George. Lincoln nil, Doncaster one. Lincoln the leaders, Donny were in fourth at this stage. They've got a couple of games to make up as well. Significant result this, and also just so much more to this game than Lincoln nil, Doncaster one. It, it feel yeah. it having watched some extended highlights. It feels like the wrong result. It feels like I've got that wrong, but that is how it ended. I was about to give a plug for the betting show saying, well, if you listen to the betting show, you wouldn't have been that surprised mm. if this was the score. But then you've gone and said it shouldn't have been the score. Um, yes, I think I think that's right. And I, it's not a massive surprise that going, I mean, I know Sunderland beat them 4-0, but it's not a huge shock that any team going to, to Lincoln and coming away with a 1-0 win possibly doesn't deserve to win. I mean, when you do go away to the better teams in the division, it does sometimes have to be fortuitous when you get in front. And that's what it was here. Um, you know, Taylor Richards, a lovely, lovely finish for the first goal. I mean, we've got to give him credit for that. Just really cultured kind of pass into the bottom right-hand corner um, from about 25 yards. And, you know, they went ahead after 58 minutes. And it's not a massive surprise, I don't think, that Lincoln therefore were on top for most of the game. Um, they squandered two of the best chances you're going to get because they had two penalties. George Grant missing the first, having missed, you know, this time he hit the target, but of course he missed that big penalty live on Sky a couple of weeks ago against Peterborough at one all in a game that ended one all. This time he hit the target, but Ellery Balcom went down low to his left to make the save. I was pretty surprised that Grant didn't, didn't take the next one because, you know, even though he's missed two in a row, he is a dead ball specialist. He's also scored a lot of penalties um in the last you know in the last few weeks maybe he didn't want to take it I'm, I'm not entirely sure Anthony Scully was surprisingly rested um given his goal scoring form but came off the bench after 77 minutes to then take the very late penalty which again 
I'm not necessarily sure I like, um, you know, somebody with, with kind of a, a mass of something to prove and also somebody who I'm pretty sure has never taken a penalty in professional football before coming into that um, environment. And he went the other way. Balkan made the to, save again. To, to be clear, the, both penalties were absolutely fine. They were pretty good penalties and astonishing pieces of goalkeeping. To yeah, not course. only to save both, but to yeah. hold both of them as well. Yeah, yeah. I no, mean, of course. Lord of course. knows what Balkan was doing, giving away the second penalty. It's like a, yeah. an absolute headless chicken stuff uh, at a time where his team really didn't need it. But obviously, making up for it and an incredible impact that he's had uh, since joining on loan from Brentford. He's someone that I've been waiting to play in the EFL for a few years because he's always been part of England youth teams and with goalies it's tough in the youth teams because it's goalkeeper development is so different um, I think than any other position and so less predictable and also just specifically at youth level I mean it's so hard to predict those who are going to be nailed on top tier goalkeepers you know if you think about the England squad I know that Pickford was always, you know, at Sunderland and they were a Premier League side and he came through the academy there. But, you know, you see him going on loan to non-league and then League Two and then League One. And Nick Pope, of course, was on loan in non-league as well. And, you know, it's such a difficult pathway to to predict. But as someone who follows the England youth teams quite closely, you know, you do see the name Bolcom. You notice that he's a Brentford player. You think Brentford are a pretty smart team and, and pretty good with their pre- player development. And it's been clear that he's not very close to their first team or hasn't been for a while. He, he, he was on loan in Denmark for a little bit at Viborg uh, in non-league, I think, with Boreham Wood. And it was it was difficult for me to to really keep track of that. So for him to now be on loan at Donny, the lone darlings of the EFL, and to <laughs> have made such an impact. I mean, he's he's an imposing figure. He looks really athletic with the well, just his reflexes and his reach. Um, in some of the saves he's made in the last few weeks. And it is very, very exciting. He's not the only loanee that, that starred here. Taylor Richards scored the goal. He's on loan from Brighton. He's making a bit of a habit of this, George. This this goal, he has basically scored the same goal four times in six weeks. I went back and watched all his goals on Scout, And, I mean, it, it sounds like horrendous analysis, but the goal that he scores is getting the ball on the halfway line, just running through the middle of the pitch and then <laughs> firing low into the corner from the edge of the box. Um it's almost like I don't really understand how how he can find that much space in the middle of the pitch, but he seems to have a great idea of when to drive. You know, when he's in in behind the midfield, running at the defence, um, and finishes unerringly from the edge. So another really exciting low knee for them. They got seven in their squad, Doncaster. Of course, you can only have five in the matchday squad. Um, Tyrese John Jules is injured for a few months, so that that might be one that they either send back to Arsenal. Or he's just not open for open for discussion. But it's always kind of an interesting one. They're all, I would say, quite standout names in terms of loanees for this level. Um, Simoes from Barnsley, Sims, of course, who rejoined having had such a good spell uh, in the first half of the season. You've got Bulkham, you've got uh, Taylor Richards as well. Um, it's yeah, it's it's tough to know who to leave out. I think for for Darren Moore, that's going to be something to watch over the next few weeks. But they've got so many games to play that I don't suspect that will matter too much. They've uh, signed Omar Bogle, of course, to to give Fajiri Okunobire a bit of uh, a bit of backup, a bit of competition with that John Jules injury as well. And they're such an exciting team at the moment that you know results wise, they haven't been affected at all by Whiteman's departure. I dare say you know his absence is probably impacting them in 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 lacking what he can do so well but they're adapting and they're you know they're winning games i don't really want to go too far on them after winning this game because you know i think lincoln were were the better side in it but 
but it doesn't take anything away from the result. Some other eye-catching results in League One: Shrewsbury beating Posh two 0 uh, George, this was a this was a really impressive one. Uh, the two things that I wanted to ask you about were, I mean, is Harry Chapman really good? Because because he so far what he's done in the Shrewsbury shirt makes me think that Harry Chapman might be really really good. Uh, and also there was that nice well there was a nice albeit kind of sad story that Steve Cottrell, who is still in hospital. Um, after suffering from coronavirus, uh, he phoned up at half time and full time, so he's still very much involved here. Uh, yes, I mean, good as you say, good to hear that that Steve Cottrell is well enough to be giving some kind of a a virtual um, half time and full time team talk. I guess the way that the world's going, maybe that'll become the norm, and managers will just sit at, sit at home and go on Zoom half time. But um, yeah, good to hear that from for, from Steve Cottrell. And what you say on Chapman. You know, I, I, it's a transfer that kind of passed me by when it happened. But, you know, it looks like a decent coup for Shrewsbury to get him in. Um, he's, as we saw with his two goals on the weekend and also his performance against Sunderland, he's a player who is very direct, who is good at getting on the ball and getting kind of running towards goal and, and, and not afraid to take on a shot. I don't think we can expect him to run with the ball 15 yards and smack it into the corner um, as often as this. But Shrewsbury have been a side who, you know, both under... Sam Ricketts and in the last couple of weeks, even though they've been winning games 1-0, who've always struggled with attacking output and haven't, you know, created a great deal and haven't scored a great deal. The the back three of uh, Pierre, Ebanks, Landell and Williams have been solid in Sarkic and goal. You know, Pierre and Ebanks, Landell have had brilliant seasons so far. Um, so adding that kind of attacking impetus that Chapman brings them certainly will help. They're in the market for a striker. I think they went pretty hard, uh, uh, pretty hard at Will Grigg, who at the time of recording on on Monday afternoon looks destined to either stay at Sunderland or, or go to MK Dons. Um, but we're waiting to see because Shrews seem to have another iron in the fire. There's no, no pun intended there. Not, there's not going to suddenly be a, a Scunthorpe player turning up, I don't think. Maybe there will be, in which case I'll claim it. Um, but yeah, it, it's exciting times. And Chapman, I think, signifies just a bit of a, a bit of a change in, in terms of what they've already got. And um, and they were really good value for this win over Posh. Um, they deserve the victory. And, you know, it's interesting because we, we put so much of the good form when Steve Cottrell first came in down to Steve Cottrell. He hasn't been taking training or taking charge of games. It's been Aaron Wilbraham um, doing so. So it's a quite clearly a collective effort. And, you know, everybody involved deserves... A lot of credit for what they're doing. Absolutely. Uh, Wimbledon lost 2-0 at home to MK Dons. Uh, the game saw Wimbledon uh, sack Glyn Hodges after a run of 11 league games where they picked up just two points uh, and lost nine of them. Uh, what was the game like itself? I mean, we had discussed beforehand that, you know, especially without fans in, this looked like a bit of a mismatch in terms of how these two teams were shaping up going into it. MK Dons had, you know, waited till the second half to turn the screw, but but pretty pretty good for the win, would you say? Yeah, they were the better side. Um, and they, you know, scored two lovely goals. Two guys who I think are, are significant, the goal scorers, in terms of what we're going to see this MK Dons side turn into. Because you've got Matt O'Reilly, who's been training with the club since, he's, he, since he rejected a new contract from Fulham. Um, a, a centre midfielder who seems to have absolutely bags of technical ability, a, a player who Fulham fans, I think, expected to 
to uh, progress with them going forward. Um, and, you know, a nice finish from him. And then uh, Matt Sorinola, who is a young player, left wing back, uh, scored a spectacular goal, should we say, even if it was spectacular in thanks to a deflection. But the, I mean, the, the bit that really impressed me here was Cameron Jerome's two assists. I mean, the first was a really nice bit of link-up play and a good ball in um, to set up O'Reilly. And the second was both holding the ball up, getting your head up, coming inside and then laying the ball off as well to a um, to an unrushing fullback. You know, Jerome looks to me, you know, I know he's not, he's not the, in terms of where he's playing, he's not the player that he was three or four years ago. But I think normally when you see physical footballers dropping down a level, you anticipate they're going to be fairly cumbersome and slow. None of it. Jerome looks, strips really fit. He's, you know, he looks pacey enough on the ball, running in behind. His technical ability on the ball is really good. You know, he looks to be, like a pretty astute signing from where I'm sitting and, and MK Dons deserving of their win. And of course, that's spelt the end of of Glenn Hodges's time in charge of AFC Wimbledon. And I am interested to see who who turns up there because, you know, I was looking for my research for Quest. I was looking at the, at the list of managers who've managed AFC Wimbledon on Wikipedia. And it says a lot that on the, on the list, it has the kind of London borough where they were all born next to their names. <laughs> and, um, and you know, you think of Neil Ardley and, and Wally Downs and Glyn Hodges. I think they're a club who need to, you know, whilst so much has gone on and correctly so in order to, to keep their history, their proud history close to them. You know, they're back at Plough Lane now. There's no need to hark back to history. You know, the club is back. It's in League One. It's ambitious. It's time to look forward and get in the best man for the job. It doesn't have to be somebody who played for FC Wimbledon, or sorry, who played for Wimbledon, I should say, in 1987. It doesn't have to be somebody who was a youth team coach back at Plough Lane in the in the 90s. Just get in the best man for the job. There's a decent side in there and, and get away from that relegation zone and build for next season. I think the conundrum or the quandary, uh, if I were... <laughs> involved at uh, Wimbledon and I should say by the way I live less than three miles away from New Plough Lane and I was born even closer than that to Plough Lane so if they want someone born nearby to help <laughs> out if that's to, to, or, to hire for I'm, the job. I'm not saying my football knowledge is impressive but if geography is part of the criteria then they should at least drop me a text um, I'd love to talk to them I, I think the interesting part here George is like they're in a they're in a difficult position because of the poor run they've been on. They're in the relegation zone, and because their trajectory has been up basically since they had to reform, I I think a relegation would be a shock to the system to an extent. Now I think everyone pretty much knows that um, partly due to being a fan owned club, and we know the problems that fan owned clubs tend to have in raising revenue in in competing budget wise when they get to league 1 that's kind of the that that feels like a bit of a uh, an artificial ceiling between league 1 and league 2 where clubs really struggle we've seen wickham um, struggle to to bridge that gap and i i'm sure that that is an issue for wimbledon i don't know all the budgets in league 1 but i expect that they are very much down there so i guess the the question is how much of a disaster would you do you think relegation would be and in the middle of the season are you going for someone who you think you know, is it realistic to get someone who can come in right now and get what is a squad that's maybe not particularly exciting and keep them up and can be the person to kick on long term? And long term kicking on means player development, means 
good player trading, but also, you know, they, they've they got a very active and impressive youth system. They've always had youth players in the team over the last few years, and I'm sure there are more to come. So is there someone available now who can do it all, who can who can keep you up, who can, who can nail the short-term results, the nitty-gritty for 19 games, and is going to be the person long-term to basically tick all the boxes for the club that's going to help them develop, but that isn't... Yeah. That's I think that's tough though. I'm not sure that yeah. perfect unicorn exists in the middle well, of a season and and is available for a club with one of the smallest budgets yeah. in the league. But but whether it's somebody who who is available now, you know, so whether it's somebody who who we would classify as being that person, you know, you're looking at the out of work managers. Would Paul Cook, would Danny Cowley entertain a job offer at AFC Wimbledon? Maybe not depending on what they're offered and what the package is. But that they're not the only ones there. I mean, there are talented coaches and talented managers re- willing to cut their cloth. You just have to be, you know, you have to be, uh, maybe think outside the box and, and actually work out exactly. You know, the thing with management processes that I don't understand is that rather than speaking to everybody and working out what you want, you should work out what you want and then speak to people and find out if that's it. You know, do you want somebody who's going to play a certain style of football? What um, attitude with regards to recruitment do you want them to have? Do you want somebody who um, has a pedigree of coaching youth teams in order to bring on young talent? Do you want somebody who has really good contacts in the Premier League? Work out what it is you want and then speak to people and see who's the best fit. And I mean, I haven't been part of a management recruitment process. Maybe one day I will do, but so I don't know how, how easy and how difficult it is. But I'm not having you saying to me that AFC Wimbledon, that there isn't somebody who they could bring in now who would be a successful long-term appointment. No way. And especially, you know, they're a side who you just have to look at the betting markets in terms of of who is um, being linked to the job. It's the caretaker manager. It's people with the links to Wimbledon. It's, it's time to move on. It's time to, to create a new history now with the best person for the role. What I was saying wasn't necessarily you can't get someone in that would be good long-term. It was can you get someone in and we don't know the answer to this, who will will make it much more likely that they will stay up this season and yeah. be that person to stay on. And maybe I, I know that if you do things right, then you do things right and you hire someone great, they can be great short, mid, long term. But it, we know it's not easy. We've, we've covered 72 teams for five years now. And the sort of coach that I think we would suggest would be good for the long term stuff, for the player development, for, for being the, the one to to get Premier League clubs uh, to have good relationships with them and send them good loan players while also developing your own young players. You said it yourself, someone who's probably got academy coaching experience. We've seen a number of these guys join EFL clubs over the last few years. Generally, it hasn't worked very well in the short term because it's hard, It's very hard to be an but, experienced young manager and go into a League One relegation battle. You say normally, normally it doesn't work too well. If you look at League Two now, Cambridge are top of the table. They appointed a caretaker youth team manager halfway through last season who's now taken them there. You look at Carlisle, who appointed Chris Beach, who hadn't had any management experience before that. But I'm Cheltenham talking about Re- the short I'm talking about twenty games from now. I know, to keep I, know I agree, but those but, but guys they, didn't they They did. Not not really immediately. Cambridge absolutely did. I mean, he won like five games on the trot as soon as he came in and took them away from it. Carlisle, less so, it like plateaued. Mike Duff came in at Cheltenham and immediately got a, got a reaction as well, having had no managerial experience. Like it is possible. You look at what's happening at Bradford now with Connor Sellers and Mark Truman, two guys who've never managed before, who are youth team managers. You know, they're, it's not as simple as just drawing up the list of names that, that we know are coaches. There are people out there who'll be able to get a reaction. It is difficult. Of course it's difficult. But if they are up to the job, you know, we've seen with the ones I've spoken about, guys who've come in with little experience, improved it, 
and then have built for the next season. I think that we should move on to the rest of League One. Uh, Hull beat Swindon one nil. Swindon's current run is horrendous, isn't it? Pretty much since mm. they uh, since they gubbed Oxford at the Cass. It's almost like they sort of made a bit of a deal with the devil there. You get you get Derby Day delight with your fourth, fifth <laughs> choice centre back scoring two completely random goals, having been chucked up top. But after that, you will win what is it? One of your next eleven. Uh, only five points in that time, and they are really struggling. Just twenty-one points from twenty-five games. Miserable vibe around the place um, when it comes to general fan feeling towards John Sheridan and therefore, uh, as it has been previously uh, under this ownership towards the the chairman, I mean, increasingly it feels like they caught lightning in a bottle uh, with Richie Wellens and that actually the the club itself wasn't necessarily winning promotion as much as as, as Wellens' quality as a manager did. Uh, Maybe that's very, very harsh, but... You know, before Wellens and after Wellens, I haven't seen anything particularly impressive from Swindon, uh, and I'm not saying that he didn't have a hand in in you know uh, the poor start to the season, but that last season, that promotion is a distant memory already, uh, already which is kind of sad to see. Um, not to rub it in, but uh, George Oxford have won seven in a row. They're in eighth place. It's a uh, it's an astonishing run, absolutely astonishing. What was it? Uh, 19 points from 16, I think it was. Uh, and then, of course, twenty-one points in the last seven. I, I texted you earlier. To, I texted you earlier to say, you know, you're you know you're in good nick when uh, your right back Sam Long basically puts in a meaty fifty-fifty or a mere sixty-forty. He was getting there first, and essentially, in doing so, plays the perfect through ball to Matty Taylor, which uh, brings on a challenge from the centre back Mulgrew, which brings on a red card after five minutes, and then you've basically won the game. It's all going right, is what I'm saying to you. Definitely. I mean, although it wasn't, it wasn't very good viewing, I must say, on Saturday. I mean, Oxford really were made to, well, not made to work hard. They made it hard work for themselves, despite uh, playing against 10 men for 85 minutes, hosted missed chances to go 2-0 up. And then, as is always the case, Fleetwood seemed to kind of throw caution to, win, to the wind late on and, and look like they might get something from the game. Um, I think Carl Robinson would be the first person to admit that the performances against both um, Fleetwood on Saturday and against Rochdale in midweek were not good enough. And despite there being six, sorry, seven wins in a row, he will look and think, okay, we need to improve here because if we carry on playing like we have for the last two games, we're not going to be able to have the staying power to stay there. The interesting thing is now going to be um, in terms of who, well, it, it's Doncaster next on Saturday, which is going to be a proper test in order to maintain that winning run. But you look at the table now, and Oxford are just three points outside the playoffs with a game in hand, at least one game in hand. You know, only 11 points off top spot with, with two games in hand. It is incredible. And I have a feeling, you know, we're recording at five o'clock. They've made one signing um, today so far, which is an important one in in Grayson from, from Blackburn, who can play left back, who can play left side of centre back and can also play holding midfield. Three areas where Oxford don't have much strength and depth at all. So um, that's a big signing. And there might be a couple more attacking additions this afternoon. Mm. And then suddenly, um, yeah, things are looking like they could be quite exciting for an Oxford side who, who made, you know, less extreme, but had a pretty similar season last season where it started pretty poorly. And then the points rattled in and suddenly they're at Wembley. Yeah. 
Yeah, very exciting. Uh, Bristol Rovers lost 2-1 to Rochdale. Rochdale's lively, what was it, 8-10 game stretch with a million goals scored, a million goals conceded and very few wins. Uh, ended with a brilliant three points at Bristol Rovers. I've got my tail between my legs to a certain extent because uh, those of you who listen to the betting show will know that I decided that Rochdale uh, had been on a bit of a hot streak finishing-wise and were so bad defensively that you know generally their natural level will, will revert to them losing more than they draw or win. And then they went and won this game. And I note that... Uh, I think Bristol Rovers racked up about 3.2 expected goals to Rochdale's 1.4. So there you go. I've been beaten by the XG there. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, Newby was brilliant, wasn't he? Uh, uh, big question marks over the keeping, I think, for his second goal. But you can't argue with the way that he danced into the box and uh, and cut onto his left foot. Slightly reminiscent of uh, what Mo Salah did on, uh, in the Premier <laughs> League on Sunday, I must say. Um, really impressive pickup he's been from non-league. And... You know, they are now 18th Rochdale. They're, they're, they're more than a point per game. They're, they're, in, they're in good nick to avoid relegation if they can keep this up. And they desperately have to tighten up at the back because going forward, they are pretty lively compared to a lot of those teams down at the bottom. They clearly do have an attacking style of play that that, that generates a lot of shots. Um, but, going, but, but at the back, they, they do definitely have to tighten up still. I wouldn't say it's all over for them uh, in terms of having secured safety. Um, we're going to talk about Quadwo Bar in just a second. Dale doing it again. Uh, they sold Academy product Luke Matheson to Wolves to the Premier League. They sold Academy product Daniel Adsed to Norwich, I think, when they were in the Premier League. And now Quadwo Bar joins Manchester City. Uh, having just turned 18. It's a it's a hell of a thing, which we're going to talk about in the transfer segment. Uh, George, League 2 was lively as hell um, <laughs> this weekend. Before we talk about League 2, um, we're sponsored by The Athletic and we've waited till the League 2 segment to talk about our sponsorship of The Athletic and specifically an article, as we do every other week, um, because there was a big old deep dive, wasn't there? A big investigation from Danny Taylor, who's one of the best in the business, um, just trying to scratch under the surface of Oldham Athletic, really. Um, the premise being that, well, the premise of the piece was they are, quote-unquote, a founding member of the Premier League, by which he means they were in the Premier League in the first season, uh, one of 22 sides. Uh, and here they are now. Obviously, many tiers beneath that. Uh, what are we, 20 years on? Uh 30 years on. I should know. I was born the same year the Premier League started. Mm. I should really know what my age is. Um, <laughs> but it's an interesting piece, isn't it? And it's it's the, it's a it's a pretty classic sort of athletic special report. Yeah, I mean, I think for anybody listening who hasn't subscribed or even checked out the Athletic, this is this is it at its best. Really, it's great writing from a great writer, Daniel Taylor, and it's proper journalism telling stories that that aren't often told, and it is committing you know, an elite sports writer to a story covering a club in Oldham that will not do the numbers um, that other clubs would do. So it's a commitment to proper football journalism and covering the EFL as it should be covered. So um, kudos to them for that um, before you even get into the piece itself, which, you know, it comes at quite a funny time because things at Oldham on the pitch are, are better than they have been for about, well, since, since the owner took over the club. Um, and you know they've now scored the most goals in League Two. I think I'm right in saying, or maybe one or fewer than the next. Um, but they, yeah, I mean, in the piece itself, it chronicles the um, the ridiculous stories that have come out of the club. It goes through the the managers and the issues that they've had so far. So 
Um, you know, we hear about a, a, a massive argument with Pete Wilde, um, with the with the owner and his brother in his office, um, which the whole stadium could supposedly hear of those who are there. We hear about Paul Scholes in his time, Dino Mamaria. I mean, it's actually amazing reading the piece. You forget just how much crap has kind of gone on at Oldham um, over the last couple of years. And it's interesting to note as well that Harry Kuhl, as a player, was part of the agency um, that the owner has as well. So there, there is that link, which um, I hadn't made before. But yeah, it, I mean, I don't want to give too many spoilers away. Um, it's... It's it's a story that needed writing and is and is is you know it's it's a good read as well. So um, yeah, great stuff. Mm. Well, one very interesting bit of info about uh, one-time loney Queensy Menig, uh, mm. the deal that saw him uh, arrive at Oldham, and some pretty eye-catching figures. I do note that the old Queensy's doing quite well for FC Twente in uh, the Eredivisie at the moment. Six goals for them. Uh, this season so you know maybe the reported wages and the plush hotel that he was given uh, <laughs> maybe they were you know a means to an end um, alas it didn't quite come off uh, but if you want to sign up to The Athletic and read that piece and you haven't already theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 you'll get 50% off an annual subscription it's about 2 quid 50 a month I think that's the, the cheapest offer going at the moment so please do make the most of that theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20 and positive news for Oldham on the pitch, George. Uh, very exciting win against Salford on the weekend. And a player that you keep talking about very fondly, this lad Keylor Dunn, scored a, a bizarre but amazing winning goal with just sort of half volleyed with his instep yeah. spinning. I, I reckon if there was an angle behind the goal, we'd have seen some, some amazing curl on that ball, I reckon. That's, I was going to say, either I'm missing something or I think it's one of the goals of the season because... It's remarkable the way that he hits that ball. He kind of strokes it in the back of the net from from 30 yards on with a bouncing ball. Um, yeah, an incredible goal. And it was interesting because he, uh, as I said on the Quest show, he'd scored, I think, two in his last three before that. And, you know, similar to, to Scully at Lincoln, Kuehl had either dropped him or rested him um, and then brought him on the bench with the scores level uh, to do that. So uh, either an inspired piece of management or a, a pretty good uh, reply from Keeler Dunn. Um, you know, the, the scoreline doesn't tell the whole story here. Salford were probably as good as I've seen them going forward all season. They, they hit the woodwork three times. They, you know, with the the, the improvement by having both Richie Towell and Paul Coots in midfield um, was pretty evident. And, you know, even though it wasn't the result that, that Salford fans would have been hoping for, I saw enough on the day to suggest that we might see a bit of an improvement from them in the coming weeks. Um, but Oldham rode their luck and then had that incredible bit of quality to uh, to see the game to see the game off and, and get the three points. We're going to have to play a bit of lucky dip here as we're approaching the hour mark and we, we're going to have this bonus uh, transfer segment after this as well. So um, just a draft system here. I want to talk about Cambridge 3, Crawley 1. Cambridge are our league leaders uh, technically, albeit Carlisle's points per game record is significantly better, but they are languishing behind and the game's played at the moment and have another game postponed this weekend uh, against Cambridge. So issues for Carlisle just purely in terms of playing the games before the the current date that the season is meant to end. Uh, but Cambridge doing business here. 3-1 winners against Crawley. Wes Houlihan, genuinely fantastic. Like, I always want us to be the guys that don't just shout about Wes Houlihan when he does something good because we know that it'll do numbers on social media because he's a very well-known and popular player um, and a lovely footballer. 
And so I'm happy to report that he is just very, very good. And age 38, I think, is still doing great things on bad pitches at League Two level. And it's great. It's so fun to watch. Um, I saw a, a sort of three-minute highlights package of him in this game. And don't get me wrong, I'm a bit disappointed with the MC and or his central midfielders because they didn't do nearly enough to get close to Houlihan. I mean, on these poor pitches... You can't tell me Houlihan can really muster much of a sprint. So in terms of finding space, I know the first five yards are very much in his head, but uh, they didn't do nearly enough to get close to him. And he was able to dictate play, and that's what he did. Uh, when you've got someone with that quality in his left foot, uh, then, well, as we saw, he's going to set up goals, he's going to create chances. He scored a lovely one of his own as well, as did Kyle Noyle with a sort of slashed long-range shot. Um, just fading away into the top corner. Really, really beautiful goal from a, a fullback that we like a lot. I also loved hearing Michael Morrison, uh, who had come through, I think, at Cambridge United, talking about how Mark Bonner was the coach of the under-9s when he was yeah. there. Like, that's amazing. I love that. I know. I absolutely love that. And I'm desperate for them to do well this season. I'm still being a bit of a uh, of a sort of Grinch is that the right word? I don't know. I, I'm I'm still not I'm not like fully convinced still that that Cambridge are like have the staying power, but they're proving me wrong most weeks. And uh, and Bonner is regardless of where they finish off is doing a fantastic job uh, there. It must be said. This is a League Two lucky dip, George. So you get to choose where you go next. Yeah, going to talk about Bradford Barrow. Um, I mentioned Mark Truman and Connor Sellers a moment ago. Um, this was, I mean, again, there have been signs that Bradford have been running a little bit hot. It's not to be too surprised about given how many games they've won on the bounce. But what I like here is the fact that it's two players who and Callum Cook, a player who who had been fairly poor um under under Stuart McCall, who hadn't had a great season so far, who's now scored two and two under the new bosses. And Danny Rowe, a player who scored so many goals at AFC Fylde, got his move to the EFL age thirty one with Oldham struggled for goals and Truman and Sellers have gone to get him despite their only kind of interim basis to the end of the season in terms of management and him repaying them with a couple of goals as well so I mean it's it's just a positive story for Bradford I think for Rowe as well um, it's great for them to have a goal scorer who that they've certainly lacked at times this season Barrow were okay here um, you know I saw Biggins has been recalled by, by Simon Grayson at Fleetwood which could be a bit of a blow although I think their fans actually aren't too bothered about that um but some signs under Michael Jolly that they're playing okay and not getting the results they need luckily they look like there are a couple of teams worse than them in league two but um but yeah another really positive result for Bradford okay next for me I thought Bolton were impressive and that's notable because it hasn't happened enough this season a good display a comfortable 2-0 home win against Leighton Orient that's what they've not experienced enough this season as a, a, a team that were very much expected to be right up there so I'm saying build on it. I'm saying I want to see another performance like this. I want to see back-to-back performances like this because that's been what's caught us out whenever we've got excited about a Bolton uh, performance. I note that as we've been recording, they've been heavily linked to Marcus Madison. And I would love to see Marcus Madison taking eight long shots a game against League Two goalkeepers, I must admit. So I hope that one gets done. But no, just an excellent all-round performance. And... um, Owen Doyle obviously getting his 10th of the season, not quite the numbers of last season, but still showing that a very, very good finisher in the right areas for a team that creates chances for him. I also saw in that StatsBomb piece that we read the other day on the StatsBomb site 
that uh, Anthony Sarsavik has has made the most nutmegs in League Two this season. I think that's a very imp- imp- important stat to, to I, have. I liked I liked that um, Emmy Buendia has been nutmegged the most. Yeah. I like third most in the AFL. I love that. I'd be quite annoyed if I was a player and I'd nutmegged Emmy and I was like, love it. And I saw that and I was like, ah, oh, everyone's doing it. <laughs> um, Tramir won Morecambe nil. Tramir march on four in a row. I don't know why I'm doing two in a row, but I'm going for it. Uh, four wins in a row for Tramir. They're now just four points off the top, uh, which seems incredible. But I think... Uh, this this crazy League Two has kind of crept up on us that we were so taken by some of those early uh, pace setters that their decline, and I'm looking at you, Newport, mostly here, uh, and the improvement of so many teams from the middle and even from the bottom half uh, has seen a pretty crazy and quite congested league at the moment. So Tramir, four wins in a row, has them right up there. They certainly had a helping hand here. Uh, Morecambe, the better side in the first half. Diago Raga, Mr. Sitter, uh, Adam Phillips, Mr. Penalty. Uh, and then, of course, Frank Songo being sent off. And it has been uh, reported that he allegedly used homophobic language on the pitch and that the referee sent him off, which is completely the right thing to do. Idiotic, uh, if true, for so many reasons, non-footballing, um, but also in footballing terms, it allowed Tramir to really put the pressure on in the second half and uh, and got the win. And looking at their underlying numbers, Tramir, that I think they're possibly riding their luck a little bit at the back uh, on this run. Probably, probably not shutting down the opposition as much as as their record might suggest, but they are creating a lot of chances, and that is very exciting. Uh, George, I guess you still got a couple more to choose from here. Could be Harrogate two, Newport one. Could be Port Vale yes. thrashing South. No, End. you got it. You got it the first time. Go on then. Harrogate two, Newport one. My performance of the day in the whole EFL. What? Um, they were brilliant. They were they went one 0 down. They haven't won at home since mid October when they beat Barrow. Um, and they just battered Newport after that. They were such good value for their win. Um, I loved how Harrogate fans were not happy when. Um, Jack Muldoon was benched before the game uh, for the new signing, Josh March, who, you know, hadn't had a great start to life at Forest Green. And March scored a brilliant goal. Such a good striker's finish, just coming off on the right-hand side, ball over his shoulder, smashed into the, to the left-hand corner. Um, and then I also loved Aaron Martin's reaction to scoring. I mean, that was pretty my favourite thing of the whole day. Because normally when, when someone scores often they will be lifted up by their teammates. Whereas Aaron Martin scored, screamed, and then just ran over to his teammate and just lifted him in the air while screaming, which I thought was a really nice touch. Um, but they, but yeah, they, they were really good value. And Newport, three sendings off in four, four games isn't ideal. Shepherd's Red came when they were already 2-1 down, so it didn't have a massive impact on the game. But it does feel like, um, yeah, it does feel like Newport are, um, yeah, a... a I was going to say treading water, but it feels like they're sinking at the moment. Make four points in eight games for them. It's a horrendous record. And all of the good things that we said about the way they were playing at the start of the campaign vanished. Um, Sheehan's obviously been suspended and hopefully his return will improve things, but remains to be seen. There's there's, there's not a lot to suggest things will, you know, the ship will be righted and uh, that promotion push that we thought was coming will be maintained, which is disappointing. Port Vale thrash South End. I think the the best way to sum this up without offending either the team that won or the team that lost is that this was back to the displays of the first part of the season for both sides in that Southend were abject, miserable, horrendous. 
uh, and Port Vale were, were decent. Uh, and actually, uh, Devante Rodney especially uh, caught the eye with some really nice goals. Not one to get carried away with, I'm afraid, Vale fans, just because of the performance of the opposition. But great to get a win, great to get some goals. And hopefully, you know, more so than performance levels, the, the confidence that that will bring will, will show in the next games. And then Grimsby losing to Stevenage. Uh, George, the, Grimsby's pretty absurd season took its latest absurd twist maybe the that maybe the one that sums it up most of all really scoring an equalizing goal in the 93rd minute and then conceding a stevenage winner straight from kickoff just a long straight ball so poor bouncing over the defenders heads and stabbed home by stevens i mean it's I'm thrilled for Stevenage, by the way, and I'm glad to see that they are starting to pick up more points, certainly in the in, in the last ten games than they did to start the season. But from a group, you you can't really think about this in any other way than just miserable, miserable for Grimsby. If I was Stefan Payne, and I scored that goal to get a point on debut, and then I saw my defence switch off like that with 30 seconds left to go, I'd be driving back to Tranmere because. You know, you're try- every point is so important. And when you're on a, a, a slide like this, just stopping the rot is so important. And that goal from the kind of the new guys been brought in to score the goals, I, I said at the time, I was like, that is a massive goal for them. Like That has got to show them that they can do this. Like they've, The guy they brought in to score has got the goal. It's just a point to stop the run of defeats. You, all you have to do is just switch on, just just press press them off the kickoff. You know, look for that ball over the top. Don't let it come over. Absolutely unbelievable um, to to concede in the way that they did. And, you know, it's worse now. That is that is a worse result in terms of where they are than it would have been if they just lost 1-0 because that is just unacceptable to do that. Um, yeah, just a shambles, basically. And it's, it shouldn't be a surprise given what's going on in the club. And just to rub it in further, I suppose, in the same way that we moved from Swindon's poor form to Oxford's good form, their rivals Scunthorpe, three wins in a row now, up to 16th. They've actually hit double figures for wins this season, 10 in 26 games, which is uh, a lot more than any of the teams around them. Of course, plenty of defeats there too. But, George, uh, it's fair to say that whatever people think of Colchester United and Scunthorpe United before this game, wherever they rated these two teams in League Two terms, uh, they, they need to sort of, well, rethink. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for Scunthorpe, it was a remarkable goal from Beeston where it, the ball seemed to kind of almost flick up before he hit it to turn it into a volley, which made meant it was an incredible strike. Um, Stevenage have now, sorry, Scunthorpe have now won three in a row and are, are away from the relegation zone. It, it's more about Colchester who... Are just continually, continually awful. Um, there's no kind of redeeming features at all to their play. They're just lucky that early in the season they managed to get enough points to to put them quite far away from the relegation zone. But if Southend or Grimsby can work out how to win games of football again, then they should be really worried because they I'd put those three as, as the poorest teams in the division at the moment. Right, weekend action discussed transfer action still to come this is a bonus section of the pod so thank you for tuning in and staying with us all the way through um it it is an awkward time to to record this george it's sort of early evening late afternoon 
on deadline day. And as we know, when the window is open till 11 p.m., everyone waits till the last few hours to confirm it. So we're, we're going to try and stick to things that have happened or we are very, very confident will happen. Um, and we're just going to weave our way through it. I'm afraid there's no tight running order. It's going to be stream of consciousness stuff, guys. But that's I think that's what deadline day is all about. So um, first and foremost, George, we've got a couple of EFL players moving to the Premier League in, in, in kind of funky circumstances. So why don't you talk me through your thoughts on uh, on Liverpool deciding to add Preston's Ben Davis to their roster, uh, given their centre-back crisis. This one is obviously raised some eyebrows because it's uh, Liverpool signing centre-back from Preston. Yeah, I mean, I think like everybody else, um, I thought it was just a matter of time until until Ben Davis got a top four Premier League move. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a weird one. I mean, it's obviously a, a brilliant news for um, it's a brilliant move for Davis, and it's one of those things because the silly way that football works. I'm sure Liverpool will probably make a profit on him. He'll probably be there for 18 months and, and then get the Premier League move that he deserves to a side probably in the bottom half and they'll end up paying over the odds because he's had because he's played 15 games for Liverpool and done okay. I mean, he's he's left-footed. Um, he can play left-back or centre-back. He will be playing centre-back for, for Liverpool, of course. He is pretty tidy on the ball, which is what they need. You know, when you think that you've got Jordan Henderson putting in good space at centre-back for Liverpool, that kind of shows you um, what qualities are important. He lacks physically, I guess, um, in terms of, you know, he's not going to do too well against some of the more bullying Premier League centre-backs. Um, but certainly, you know, he's he's not... The, the way it's been spoken about in some circles are as if he's going to be some competition winner. And, and that's just not the case. You know, I'm, he's, he's a very good player who I'm sure Liverpool would, you know, understanding that there was no money to spend, would have basically done a, you know, a bit of a sort-by value, free transfers only um, signing, where they're paying two million quid for guys out of contract in the summer anyway, which is fantastic business for Preston. And I'm sure he'll be okay. You know, I don't think he's going to um, make that position his own uh, by any stretch, but he'll he'll be a decent support um, for Virgil van Dijk when he's back fit long term. And in the short term, he'll offer them a, a rounder peg in a rounder hole. Mm. Spot on. Yeah, it's an amazing move for him. I think even for, for from a Preston point of view, there's a lot of love about the fact that a kid from Preston who's been with them since the age of eight, who really had to, you know learn his trade out on loan in the lower leagues and in non-league as well and has since played a lot of football for Preston uh, by the age of 25. There's a there's a lot of love and excitement for him, which is really nice to see. I mean, at the same time, like, I still... I don't know exactly what the circumstances were with him just not signing a new contract. Um, I don't, for a minute, think that players should be, like, guilt-tripped into signing contracts with their hometown club just so their hometown club get proper fees for them but um it, it does mean that you know if this is a centre-back who we're talking about as one of the the, the more competent uh, at championship level um with what he can do on the ball certainly raising his his ceiling compared to many in the championship then it's a little disappointing that that the fee isn't huge and yet it's better than nothing and i think if he'd signed for celtic it would have been pretty minimal um certainly if he'd signed on a free at the end of the season so you know two million quid reported with presumably a little percentage add-on as well it's actually not horrendous business in their current situation even if overall it's pretty poor business to lose a player like this and um because you've let their contract run down so um i can't wait to see how he does really and, and obviously we want him to do well but it's so I mean, it's so rare, isn't it, that someone would move from, you know, mid-table championship side straight into uh, 
the very top team in the land, essentially, uh, or one of. So uh, it's going to be interesting. It's it's so hard to work out what happens when you basically place a uh, a championship centre back in the heart of the defence for a very top team? Because all of the skills, you know, the skills that we judge him on, and the and the ability that we judge him on is obviously relative to the level that he's playing at. And things get pretty lively when you're playing in the Champions League knockout stages. So I uh, hope he goes well. We've also got Quadwo Bar, someone we've spoken about a fair bit in the last month or so. He had that real remember the name uh, game in midweek against Charlton the four all a couple of weeks ago 17 year old scoring two brilliant goals but just the I think from a scout's perspective or anyone who's who's who thinks they've got an eye for a player for me it was just the nature of the goal specifically the power in his shot for for a 17 year old just I mean uh, unbelievable but also the power in shrugging off the defender um, the skill on the ball the, the trickery uh, it was all very exciting, very eye-catching. And, and he'll join Man City, but he'll be loaned back to Rochdale for the rest of the season, uh, which is great for them. The, the reported fee is about 500k, um, plus you'd hope some pretty big add-ons, which will probably be more significant than the initial fee itself. Bar's contract, which is just a youth contract anyway, a scholarship, I believe, was up at the end of the season as well. So, of course, there'll be Dale fans who think, well, if we've got a 17, 18-year-old who's wanted by some of the top teams in the world, 500k doesn't really tally with what you'd expect there. But again, um, that's just the that's the way the cookie crumbles when you haven't got players tied up to long-term contracts. And again, we don't know all the ins and outs of, of why he wouldn't have signed an, uh, a proper senior professional contract. But um, you know, if if Bar is is developed in the Manchester City system, and you know we've had a tweet from someone saying, well, that's his career over with. I, I don't necessarily think like that, but I know why people do. Um, I think this is an unbelievable opportunity for him, and you know I hope that he continues to develop as he has in the last year. Brian Barry Murphy should take a lot of credit and Rochdale themselves for for their for their bravery, for their trust in, in playing such a young player and allowing him to develop while playing for the first team rather than expecting him to do it um, in reserve games and academy games. Uh, and yeah, I just note that there's a, a head of recruitment at Manchester City, he's a guy called Joe Shields, and he's got a really good reputation in youth football for basically knowing every single young player in the world. Um, and Joe, uh, reading a, a Guardian article about Quadwo Bar just a few weeks ago, uh, I did note this little nugget that Barr was spotted as a nine-year-old playing for Moonshot in Catford by Joe Shields, who's now Manchester City's head of academy recruitment. And when I read that, I messaged you and said, ooh, I wonder, I wonder if Joe Shields, now Manchester City's head of academy recruitment, might be very interested in uh, in, in, in working again with uh, with Quadwo Barr. Uh, and yeah, we, we hope he does well. Obviously, we hope that we'll see him in the EFL on loan over the next few years. But uh, if he's got the sort of potential to develop as as we think he does, then this is obviously a very exciting move for him. Uh, elsewhere, George, I mean, Blackburn have had an eye-catching window. It was only last Monday we were talking about how good their squad is and how many, well, just what depth they've got, and they've added to it. Uh, they've bought Harry Pickering from Crew Alexandra, and he'll be loaned back to Crew for the rest of the season, but he will be a Blackburn player playing for Blackburn from next season, which is pretty exciting. One of the most talked about left backs in the EFL over the last couple of years. But they've also signed T uh, Taylor Harwood-Bellis on loan from Manchester City. And I'm really excited to see Harwood-Bellis play. I, I must say, given they've already got Jared Branthwaite, who's another very young, very talented centre-back, who's taken to life in Blackburn's first team pretty well, I, I'm sort of a bit confused because it feels like they probably won't play together. 
and therefore it's hard to imagine both of them getting plenty of game time. But uh, they've got a bit of an injury crisis at the back. I expect Harwood Bellis to be a bench option and Lenahan and Branthwaite to continue because Branthwaite's a lefty uh, and Harwood Bellis is right-footed. But we saw him play against Oxford in the Cup last year at the Kassam. And I was so impressed. I mean, he I don't know how old he was then, but very, very young and played like a someone in his mid-20s with 300 games. Uh, as he's come through at City and he's a local lad, he can play the ball very, very well, as you'd expect. But from what I've seen anyway, in, in, in not a ton of minutes, he will be able to handle himself as well. And I think there's a really good defender there. So, you know, lively, lively enter the window for Blackburn. They are outside the playoffs, but you have to say Mowbray has got plenty of bullets now. Um, and we said earlier that the performance levels aren't that high, and yet they do feel like one that, that could really have an assault on the playoffs. They're only three points off at the moment, so there you go. But George, I mean, the flip side of the Pickering transfer, exciting for Blackburn. You know, we can't wait to see what he does in the championship from next season. We suspect that he'll be very a very, very good attacking contributor from left back uh, and we wait to see if there are any defensive deficiencies that get shown up at, at a higher level but for crew this hasn't been a fun january has it it's been awful i mean i feel i feel for crew fans i mean keeping hold of pickering to the end of the season is you know it's a bit of change i guess um but to lose perry and g to lose Harry Pickering long term, and then it sounds like they might be losing Charlie Kirk to Charlton as well. Um, to, you know, to lose all three of them in January would be disappointing. I mean, I <clears throat> spoke to somebody in the summer, an unnamed somebody who has, you know, who has a role at a um, an EFL club, and I just said, you know, I thought that crew had, you know, which is nothing smart. The crew had probably three or four or five players who are going to end up playing Championship football or higher. And it was relayed to me that whilst that was true, um, the amount the crew were, were wanting for them was probably um, didn't make the transfers value for money back in the summer. So I, I don't know what's happened here because if, if the £500,000 rumour for, for Kirk is correct, that is a bargain. If the similar level transfer fee for Harry Pickering is correct, then that is a bargain. And the fee for Perry and G, similarly, you know, to only be getting a couple of million quid for those three combined is is poor business um you know you look at oxford who rejected who almost kind of laughed off a five hundred thousand pound bid for, for cameron brannigan yesterday um that you know in terms of 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 ceilings and um technical ability that they should be pretty well aligned i would say so difficult for crew i, I don't know you know obviously given it's covid time I, i'm not going to criticize them because we don't know what's going on with the ins and outs of the um, of the club, and we don't know how necessary the getting the funds in is, but um, but I'd be di- you know really disappointed having nurtured those players and got a hell of a lot out of them on the pitch. It does seem pretty cheap, but the, the flip side of it is, I mean, if if uh, if if Kirk does go to to Charlton and Charlton have had a brilliant window, um, really really good. You know, we talk about how often um, you know the proof is in the pudding when it comes to um, to new owners and the early signs. Are very very good uh, with Thomas Sandgard. You know they may have lost Alfie, Alfie Doughty, which is, um, 
you know, not ideal, but for a decent fee. But they've moved quickly to bring in certain players. You know, they paid a fee for Ronnie Schwartz, uh, even though he's 31, showing they're happy to spend on on results now. Liam Miller's looked really, really lively on the right hand side, uh, on loan from Liverpool since he's come in. Jaden Stockley, an impressive signing, you've got to say as well from from Preston. And then if they're worth getting Kirk, then Matt Smith, who started the you know spent the first half of the season at Swindon and who's been you know their darling in midfield. Um, exciting signings for Charlton, especially because, you know, they've had a bit of a, a slump on the pitch and you'd think these these additions should give them a bit of impetus going into the, the second half of the season. OK, let's talk about some strikers now. Uh, strikers in the Championship or in the case of Troy Parrott, not in the Championship anymore. But let's start with, uh, with Glenn Murray, George, who signed for Nottingham Forest. Um, Chrissy Hewton getting the band back together, isn't he? He's got <laughs> he's got Gaetan Bong, he's got uh, Anthony Knockout, and he's got now Glenn Murray, who was uh, scoring the goals that sent Brighton up in sixteen seventeen. Feels like a long time ago that Georgie. I'm not convinced that he's necessarily going to be having the the impact on this team. Uh, what do you make of it? They've they've got Graben and Lyle Taylor already on the books. And they brought in Garner as well, just really keen to bring in players who had no impact at, at, at Watford. Um, yeah, I mean, is Glenn Murray the answer? He, he's probably going to score a few goals if they can create the chances. Um, Lewis Graben missed a couple of opportunities against Barnsley. Has done all <laughs> it, season, really, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to get too excited about. Forest seem to me to be another side who are going to finish somewhere between the playoffs and the relegation zone. Um I guess Chris Hewton, you know, it, it it shows a bit of a frustrating lack of um, long-term viewing for me. You can kind of imagine Glenn Murray coming in, scoring five goals at the end of the season and then signing on a permanent deal in the summer, which um, isn't the kind of transfer I can get behind. But, you know, he's probably good for a couple of goals if, if the ball is given to him in the area. So I'm quite excited to see two players that we've not had before at championship level, two strikers. Uh, one of them is Sam Cosgrove, who Birmingham City have signed from Aberdeen for around £2 million. Uh, it's really interesting. I mean, it's quite interesting to me that they've that they've spent £2 million in the first place. Um, Birmingham, they're backing Aitor Karanka. And, and look, Cosgrove is six foot four. He is physically very strong and he is... Reportedly, from our friends at uh, certainly at Pure Fitbar, a brilliant Scottish football website, whose name I always sound like an idiot when I say, um, is that you know he's been pretty impressive for Aberdeen since signing from Carlisle. Nice little wrinkle from this is that Carlisle have got a lovely little um, sell-on percentage, so they've picked up a nice windfall, uh, which is the only time you really hear that word in in footballing terms. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be the the focal point. There's there's an extent to which I wonder if he's a bit uh, sort of on the scale where Scott Hogan is at one end of the scale and Lukas Djukovic is at the other end of the scale. I think he's sort of in between, maybe a little closer to Djukovic. And I think that suits Karanka. He's obviously not a fan of the Duke, um, disappointingly so for me, but he's he's clearly not a huge fan of playing someone of, of Hogan's stature up top on his own anyway. So Cosgrove, 24 years old, he had a good he has had a good scoring record with Aberdeen, 30 and 70 in the Premier League. This season he's had a real dry spell. So he might need he might need one off his ass to start with to get the confidence flowing. But I I'm interested to see him because I think that as an all-round player, if we don't just focus on on um on his goal output, I'm hoping that we'll see a, a good player here, but yeah, it's an interesting one, a good signing for them hopefully and then daryl dk uh d-i-k-e has just signed for barnsley while we've been recording uh on loan from 
MLS. And this is quite interesting because Smarter Scout, which is a, a really interesting um, sort of scouting analytics website, they've done a little thread on him already. Um, and they've done a little thread telling us a little bit about him, which is great. Uh, of course, the uh, the man in charge of, of Barnsley, um, not the manager, of course, but sort of director of football type is Dane Murphy, who used to be a technical director in MLS. So you'd hope that he's got good contacts there and has an eye for a player. Daryl DK on loan from Orlando, a raw young striker who's excellent on the dribble and risky in possession um, and who hasn't played a ton of football. So we can't tell you too much more about him. I can't wait to see this guy. Barnsley are already sort of appointed viewing, aren't they? So a very lively, athletic, dribbly striker who might be able to shoot or might not be able to shoot. Uh, he sounds like he's going to add to what is already quite an entertaining uh, um, uh, side in Barnsley. So Daryl DK on loan from Orlando City at Barnsley. Uh, looking forward to seeing him. George the Parrot, Troy Parrot. Didn't work out <laughs> for him at Millwall, did it? He's dropping down to a loan at Ipswich Town. Yeah, I mean, I don't know enough about Troy Parrott to know whether or not he's going to be a good signing for Ipswich. Um, next, Harry, just, next Harry Kane, I heard. But that, I mean, it just strikes me again of, of just poor loan management. Um, you know, the reason seemingly why he's been sent to Ipswich is because they have um, assured Spurs that he'll play regularly as a number nine. Um, I don't know what that means for their other... Um, they've got a fair few strikers on the books, but... Yeah, I don't know why he was sent out to Millwall um, because that was pretty unlikely to ever happen. Um, and it didn't really seem like a great fit stylistically either. Uh, it's a bit of a, you know, I think it's probably quite a good move for Parrot because he's got, even though they, they are incredibly stale in terms of um, the, way they, the way that they attack, he's going to get minutes for the first time. Um, he's going to get an opportunity. Expectations at the football club are, are pretty low, so he won't have to do much. Um, so... Yeah, um, would it be a good signing? I'm not entirely sure. If I was a young player going into Ipswich, you've got the opportunity to improve things because um, it wouldn't take too much. Do you know what? I like the business that uh, Burton Albion have done in the last week or so. Really, uh, outwardly, at least to me, it seems having a proper go at survival, despite the fact that they are in a really tough spot in uh, in league 1 at the very bottom of it of course they've got 16 points from 24 games jesus i'm not i'm not sure i even realized it was that bad um mm. 7 points from safety though so still very much achievable if they have a good run and yeah ben robinson the chairman who is often accused of uh being tight with his money when it comes to spending it on his on the club that he owns um, but is also known to be one of the better chairman in the uh, in the game over the last few decades and, and what a journey Burton have been on under his uh, ownership. I think we shouldn't forget that. Um, they've made some interesting moves uh, in the last few days. They already had Hayden Carter in from Blackburn on loan who made an immediate impact, didn't he, when they put together a couple of wins. But they've also signed Tom Hamer, who's right back from Oldham. He's one of those guys, George, that he's always kind of been flagged to us, hasn't he? Because at a club in Oldham where there's been so much churn and so little consistency to have a player through the youth system who's played over a hundred games and he's still only 21 has always kind of been flagged up to us. And I know that Oxford were rumored to be in for him, I think in the summer, that's kind of understandable. I think this, this is an interesting move. I think there's, there's an extent to which like you shouldn't just get carried away because someone has played games that Hamer's like a pretty solid right back, but maybe we need to, to test him out at the next level. Uh, and that's a chance he'll get with Burton. Johnny Smith, a winger from Bristol City, he's joined permanently, and I really like that. Um, these strike me as signing Smith and Hamer specifically, where it's like 
yes, they might help make Burton better in the short term, but even if Burton go down, unlike most January signings, which tend to be very, very short term in their in their nature, I could see Smith and Hamer being part of a very good League Two side next season. So if Burton can turn things around, even if they do get relegated, and if they can shake off any relegation hangover and, and keep Hasselbank in charge, I could see Hamer and Smith being some of the better players in League Two next year for a Burton side that, that would probably be one of the favourites for promotion. So I kind of like that because it, it's kind of, to the extent that you can in January when you're in a massive relegation scrap, kind of planning for the future as well. And, and, you know, I might be miles off, but I think Johnny Smith's got some talent, got a bit of a spark, and I'm looking forward to seeing him. They've also got Josh Earl in from Preston. Again, like, he's a player that I reckon two years ago I, I expected Earl to start breaking into Preston's first team lefty defender kind of left back kind of a center back he's played most of his senior football at left back and i think there's you know maybe he hasn't developed quite as well uh, as people wanted but he's still only 22 which for someone who plays in that position is very very young indeed and uh, again like good move for burton this is only a loan but someone who can make them better straight away so it's basically half of a new team that they've signed in, in January. Uh, and that's what they needed because they did look desperately short under Jake Buxton, didn't they? So Ben Robinson backing Jimmy Floyd. Um, a team to watch, Burton. Don't write them off. Uh, only seven points from safety, even if they got 16 points from 24. Any more for any more, George? Um... I think we're good, aren't we? We're pretty exhausted this this window. I'm feeling pretty exhausted myself. I'm feeling very exhausted. We're both doing a bit of uh, late night radio as well on BBC Radio 5 Live. So maybe time for a break and a walk around the park and a, and a bit of dinner. Um, but thank you guys for, for listening uh, all the way through. Nice little 90 minute job this. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. We uh, we recap the weekend and then some, some transfer ramblings. Um, do get in touch with us on Twitter if we haven't spoken about a player and you'd like to hear our opinion at NTT20pod we'll do our best to get back to as many of you as we can uh, in the next 24 hours or so and um, hope you've enjoyed this NTT20pod please make sure you're subscribed make sure you're following us on Twitter and we'll talk to you again in the second half of the week with a Totally Football League show extra time and a betting show as well of course go well